Good morning. Happy Sabbath. It's a pleasure to be with you all this uh, Sabbath. I'm so happy to finally be able to share with you. I know some of you have been eager to hear from me. Uh, thank you for your patience. Uh, it's been such a, a nice time getting to know so uh, Southern California. Thank you. Um, as you all know, I'm from New Jersey, East Coast, born and raised. So uh, it's taking some time to get my footing. Uh, I appreciate your prayers. This morning, we are in the book of Acts. So I invite you, if you have a Bible with you, to turn with me there, or swipe through. Acts chapter 19, I'm just going to read the first five verses. Acts chapter 19, beginning at verse 1. The Bible says, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather together and worship. We thank you for your comforting presence here. Oh, Lord, we ask and pray that you would fulfill the promise that you gave us, that any time we open up your word, that you would guide us into truth, Lord. We pray that that truth would set us free. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm a big sports fan, so if uh, we get to know each other as time goes on, you'll, you'll notice that I often am thinking about sports, primarily my favorite sport, baseball. Uh, typically... Uh, baseball takes up a, a pretty big chunk of my uh, emotional well-being because I'm either really excited about how well my team is doing or just let down by how they burnt out in the playoffs against the San Diego Padres. <laughs> yes, uh, baseball is my, my sport. And in the world of sports, there's a saying. You've probably heard it before uh, Perhaps, especially if you're in the younger crowd, this, this saying called game recognize game. Anyone ever heard that saying before, game recognize game? Uh, essentially, it's this. Uh, game recognize game is often a sign of respect or paying uh, homage to a peer who is superior at a particular task than you are. It's when uh, someone just has this sense of awareness about another person being gifted in something. And, and uh, in the world of sports, perhaps there was no better example than a game recognizing game uh, than with one of the greatest baseball players to ever live, Barry Bonds. I don't know if you ever heard of Barry Bonds. Maybe you have some thoughts about his career, uh, about his choices. That's okay. We can have a discussion maybe afterwards, uh, a, d a friendly debate. But Barry Bonds was a bad dude. Uh, he is the home run king for a reason. And because of that, you can imagine the fear that he instilled every time he stepped to the plate. Barry Bonds leads not only that major league record for home runs, but also for walks. 
It was walked 688 times in his career, 400 of which were intentional walks. There was never uh, uh, another example of how much fear he instilled in others than the night of May 28th, 1998, in a game between the San Francisco Giants and the Arizona Diamondbacks. Picture this, with the bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth inning, his team trailing by two, Barry Bonds steps to the plate and was intentionally walked with Arizona electing to give up a run instead of potentially allowing Barry Bonds to end the game with a grand slam. Just imagine that. They would rather give up a run, allow this guy to get on base, than potentially him ending the game right then and there. Game recognizes game. It's this awareness of recognizing that another person has this gift. Paul is on his way doing ministry. He arrives at Ephesus, and there he finds some disciples. Apparently, these disciples were followers of John the Baptist. Uh, but as we said, game recognizes game. Immediately, the text tells us that Paul is prompted to question, hey, have you received the Holy Spirit? I'm not sure what exactly prompts this question. Uh, what in Paul uh, instills this awareness that they were lacking, that there was something that they needed. But nevertheless, Paul asks the question, what exactly is the motivation behind it? Maybe Paul recognizes in them that there was this lack of joy. Maybe uh, they, they were walking around with their heads down sad and, and, and in despair and in, with a deep sorrow and grief. Maybe Paul observed a lack of love amongst the group. I mean, uh, the Bible tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, and, and perhaps they weren't demonstrating a care for each other or a care for their neighbors. Maybe there was a lack of justice in the group. Uh, perhaps Paul noted uh, in their speech, maybe, that they didn't really sound like followers. Uh, perhaps there was uh, maybe like a double life going on amongst these uh, uh, men, amongst this group. So Paul is prompted to ask the question. And I, and I pause at that question, reflecting on my own life. Would uh, uh, someone, would Paul ask that question if he met me? Game recognizes game, right? The, the evidence of an encounter, the evidence of a spirit-filled life, is it in me? Is it coming out of me? Paul took measures to correct the situation. We're told that he lays hands on them and prays. Uh, he baptizes them as well. And immediately after, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But the reality is in the text, Paul isn't just about telling us the need of having this uh, indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but... Rather, he actually demonstrates that with his own life. Paul shows through his everyday life that he is in connection with God, with this indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
The, the story picks up again in verse 11, and I'd like for us to, to go there with me. The text tells us in verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. I just want to pause right there. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. This is a, is a weird text because a miracle in itself is something extraordinary. It's not normal. A miracle already is something that is uh, out of the norm. But the author here writes, this is not just an, an ordinary miracle. This is an extraordinary miracle. Uh, and uh, you have to understand context is important. Paul is in Ephesus, and uh, scholars uh, believe that Ephesus was a city known for its magicians. So you could imagine uh, that miracles, uh, these supernatural works, were actually pretty common in Ephesus. When I say magicians, I'm not talking like a guy uh, telling you, hey, take this card. Uh, let me guess what it is. No, not that kind of magician. You see, my family's from the Caribbean, and so... Uh, you know, if you're from Latin America, you might have heard of Santeria and, and, and stuff like that. So people who, who do witchcraft, etc. This was common in Ephesus. And so it's really important for the author to point out, this is not just any kind of miracle happening. These are extraordinary miracles, things that people had not seen before. So what kind of things were people seeing through Paul in Ephesus? The text continues in verse 12. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Paul doesn't just express the need of the indwelling of the Spirit, but demonstrates the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And what happens when our life is spirit-filled? What happens when our life displays this connection to God? This morning, I'd like to suggest these two very simple things that arise from the text. Why was Paul so empowered by the Spirit in such a way? I'd like to suggest that we have to be faithful in the ordinary. Being faithful in the ordinary. I stopped and paused, what is the author trying to say about this handkerchief and apron that belonged to Paul and were taken to the sick and to those who had evil spirits in them? Most scholars believe this isn't just a handkerchief to wipe or blow your nose. Uh, this isn't just an apron that you would use in the kitchen. Uh, these were actually Paul's work attire. This was his uniform for work. If you remember, Paul was a tent maker. Paul had a, a regular nine to five, and he would go to work with his apron and his handkerchief. Uh, the handkerchief was uh, to wipe the sweat off his brow. And Paul was just going to work, and uh, he'd arrive at the morning uh, hour, and he'd notice his apron was gone, and his handkerchief had been taken as well. And I could just imagine Paul saying, man... They did it again. My uniform, it's not here. What, what's happening? Uh, this was Paul being faithful in the ordinary. 
while I was in uh, undergraduate studies, I remember uh, everyone in the theology department, uh, typically uh, as you get to know people, they'd share their story, their call to ministry. Uh, and often uh, you'd hear these really amazing testimonies of God's work in their lives. Uh, I remember hearing uh, stories of people who had been uh, addicted to drugs or even drug dealers affiliated with gangs and, and somehow uh, an evangelist got to them or somehow uh, they were brought to the faith and, and now they were studying to, to do ministry. And I remember hearing these stories and being so inspired and so encouraged. And then they'd turn and shift like, what about you? Tell me your, your story of conversion. Tell me your, your story uh, of the call to ministry. And I remember feeling a, a bit odd to not have these really big elements in my story uh, because in reality, I didn't have this uh, road to Damascus experience. And oftentimes, we amplify big stories of conversion but forget to tell the stories of the vast majority of people who walk this earth with a normal, everyday faith. And, and I understand the need of these uh, big conversion stories because the reality is that there are people who have really big problems who need a really big God, and, and, and that's okay. But often uh, the, 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 the normal faith, this everyday, ordinary, showing up to work kind of faith is uh, falling through the cracks and we just go right over it. The reality is Paul is just showing up to work. That's all he's doing. He's showing up to work. We often think of the front lines of ministry as uh, only happening in the pulpit or uh, on the mission trip or in the academy or somewhere in a monastery far, far away. But the truth is that people were being healed just because Paul showed up to work, just because he went to his job. And, and I know so many young people uh, that believe that, you know what, uh, I'm not really called for ministry. That's you, pastor. That's what you guys do at Azure Hills. But the truth is we are all called to ministry no matter what vocation you have. The truth is that holy ground is not just this space here at Azure Hills. That, that little six by six cubicle in your office, that is holy ground. That emergency room or operating room that you're working at, that is holy ground. That little uh, delivery truck that you're driving, that is holy ground. The truth is no matter where you are, what you're doing, God is using you for his glory. That is holy ground. Paul was just showing up to work, and people were being healed. He was faithful in the ordinary. Number two, God's deepest longing for you is for you to find your belonging in him. The text continues, picking up in verses 13 to, to 16, and it continues uh, in this interesting way. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, were doing this. Verse 15, one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, 
and Paul I know about, but who are you? Notice what's happening here. Number one, these sons of Sceva attempted to appropriate power without ever touching the source. They didn't invoke the name of Jesus, their God, their Lord. They call upon Jesus, the God of Paul. I, I imagine that for some of us, this uh, seems all too familiar, that often it, it is a temptation uh, to live our faith through somebody else. And the truth is that uh, God wants a relationship with each and every one of us. You can't appeal to the faith of your mom or your dad or your spouse or your elder or your pastor but you can only appeal to Jesus. They had this idea that they could just call on Paul's God and all the things that they were trying to do for profit, by the way, were gonna happen. But they realized that their attempts were powerless. It doesn't matter your faith tradition, your denominational affiliation, uh, what your ecclesial identity or polity ascribe to, uh, if you do not have your own faith in Jesus. The danger in, in this is that we will become so used to relying on someone else without ever interacting with Jesus ourselves. And, and the truth is, he is longing for us to find our belonging in him. These sons of Sceva were more interested in being tools rather than being in relationship. I'd like to su suggest to you this morning that God's deepest longing is not for you to be used by him in a glorious way. We often uh, pray these really uh, sincere prayers. God, use me. God used me. I remember praying that all the time while, while I was younger in, in college. God used me. But the truth is, beyond being used, God wants us to belong. The danger in only asking to be of service is that it could be a faith performance, uh, a, a performance-based faith. What happens if you're used in a different way than one of your peers? Or if your peer does that better, what then? You might feel a, a little bit ashamed and, and, and feel uh, like you're not as good. If I produce, then I am profitable. If I do, then I am love. But the truth is that God's deepest longing for your life is for you to find your belonging in him. And that's what Paul found. He found his belonging in Jesus. So he didn't have to go out and try to prove to the people in Ephesus that he was a follower. He didn't have this uh, uh, sense of inferiority that others needed to know how connected he was. Paul was just faithful in the ordinary. And he had found his belonging in Jesus. I'd like to end with this text, Acts chapter 17, verse 28. 
For in him we live and move and have our being. Pray with me. Father, we're so thankful for the way you have worked in the past, Lord, the way you are working now in our lives. God, we're, we're thankful that you have called each and every one of us to live in proximity to you. So Lord, we pray this morning that you would anoint us with your Holy Spirit, that we would be able to live in such a way that gives you honor and glory, that we would be faithful in the little things. And Lord, that we would find our belonging in you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.